Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. It ain't easy getting to the highest peak in Yosemite National Park to see the Lyle Glacier. Woo! 13,114 feet. You can find a lot of YouTube videos of people trying to go see the glacier. And these people may be some of the last hikers to actually witness it. So 30 years ago, uh, the glacier was where we're standing. Here is the highest peak in Yosemite, the largest remaining glacier in Yosemite National Park. At least it was. A glacier is ice that moves, and the Lyle Glacier isn't moving. Its disappearance, its death, is now understood to be a canary in the coal mine of our global climate disaster. Today, we're going to talk about what it's like watching the Lyle Glacier die. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to the Bay. Daniel Duane was going rock climbing with his teenage daughter in Yosemite, and he ended up at a party where he met Greg Stock. He told me what he did, and I didn't even know there was such a position, Yosemite National Park geologist. And I told him that, and he he wasn't surprised because he is the first one ever. The first one ever? Yeah. I did not know that. Daniel wrote about Greg Stock for the California Sunday Magazine. Greg has worked in Yosemite for more than 10 years, and he's doing something that was first done by John Muir almost 150 years ago. He's tracking the last two glaciers in Yosemite, the McClure and the Lyle Glaciers. On his annual trip up to the Lyle Glacier, he had noticed there was a dark patch in the middle of the glacier. If you can picture the glacier, it's just kind of a big white expanse on the sort of steep mountainside of a black, broken rock mountain. He had noticed a dark spot in the middle of it, and he thought that dark spot looked like it was growing. So he hiked out to this dark spot to look at these what he thought were boulders, and he realized that they were not boulders. They were, in fact, bedrock, that it was a big patch of the underlying mountain exposed. So in that moment, he realized this is no longer a glacier. The Lyle Glacier is dead. He said that it occurred to him 
that he would probably be the last person to have studied the Lyell Glacier. I mean, if, if you consider it already gone, he was the last person to have studied it. Can you tell me what a living glacier is supposed to feel like or sound like? The movement of the ice can make sort of creaking noises. Water is always kind of running somewhere inside them. They have what are called ice falls, which are sort of the glacier equivalent of a waterfall, in, you know, where, the, where a glacier sort of pours, as it were, over a cliff, in which these gigantic blocks of ice, they can be as big as houses, sort of creak and slowly sort of ooze and creak and move over and then sometimes collapse and fall. They feel quite overwhelmingly powerful, sort of the way if you've ever gone and stood next to one of the truly great coastal redwoods in in the North Coast. And in the 1800s, this is what John Muir is seeing in Yosemite. That's right. And then what happened from John Muir's time to when we started seeing this glacier die? One of the things I've been reading is about the history of study of the glaciers there. Greg's study of those glaciers is not just something he's been interested in. Greg's study of those glaciers is part of a 140-plus year legacy of continuous study that starts with John Muir himself. So there was this period in the early 19th century, so the early to mid-1800s, when geologists on both sides of the Atlantic were finding increasing evidence that the Earth was really, really old, which at the time, by really old, they meant 10 million years, maybe? Mm-hmm. I mean, now, of course, we know that it was, it's, you know, four and a half billion mm-hmm. years, whatever it is, but 10 million years, 20 million years, these were utterly mind-blowing figures to people of that period. The discovery of Yosemite was such a big deal. Coming out of the Civil War, Yosemite was this symbol of national grandeur and the magnificence of North American nature and all of that. It was right at this time of this ongoing debate about how the world got made, how the world around us gets shaped, how old the world is, was there really ice? You know, these were fascinating questions at one time. But... Eventually, the scientific community, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, did come around to Muir's view, did come around to the view that glaciers had, in fact, shaped Yosemite Valley. In the pictures that you see of the Lyle Glacier in these earlier years, what does it look like? In the earliest pictures, I believe it was 13 million square feet. It looks like an enormous white shawl covering all of the upper shoulders of Mount Lyell. Mount Lyell is the tallest peak in Yosemite National Park. I think it's just over 13,000 feet, and it has this beautiful sort of jagged summit of black metamorphic rock and these very sort of broad lower flanks. So in the early photographs, the glacier is this huge continuous field. And you can see in places its immense thickness. You know, it, it has its own kind of cliffs and ramparts. As the years go by, it just relentlessly shrinks back up the mountain, retreating and getting smaller. By five, ten years ago, it has broken apart into many small pieces, really only one of which continued to be anything like a glacier up until, you know, even that one finally stopped moving and started to break apart. 
its disappearance, its death, is now understood to be a canary in the coal mine of our sort of global climate disaster. Scientists like to think of glaciers as these living things. And historically, they formed and disappeared during the Earth's previous cycles of warming and cooling. But this time around, we can't ignore that the type of warming that's happening is man-made. So in your story, Greg talks about watching the glacier die and how he wasn't prepared for this as a geologist. What do you think he meant by that? Glaciology, though, is a peculiar subset of geology in that the timelines, the lifespans of glaciers are much shorter than the lifespans of mountain ranges, of course. They have these qualities that compel the human spirit to experience them as alive. But what I took Greg to mean was that he had not, it just had not occurred to him that he would study the death of something, that he would be there for the very end Though the immense timescales that geologists and even glaciologists deal with make that sense of an end even more profound and peculiar. Do you know when Greg realized that, that he was going to be the one to watch the Lyle Glacier fade away? You know, like everyone who studies glaciers in this era, he was studying relentless shrinkage and retreat. They sort of retreat back uphill. The, f- the front of a glacier sort of, <laughs> you know, goes back uphill. Counterintuitive. <laughs> it is sort of counterintuitive. Yeah, they shrink uphill uh, until their last sort of bits are at the very highest point they were ever at. He also, in 2014, had this experience of going up to do his annual measurements of the glacier and noticing that it was no longer moving. You know, technically that means that it's done. The glacier is not a glacier when it's not moving. What does but- it become? Just a block of ice. <laughs> yeah, an ice field. I mean, he struggles with that. What do we call this thing now? Do we just call it the Lyle stagnant ice field? I mean, he still refers to it as the Lyle Glacier, <laughs> even though he knows it's not a glacier. And that's the part of us that's just human, that's just emotional. Obviously, surrounding this whole story is this bigger issue of climate change. And I mean, I know Greg thinks about this all the time and has for years, if not decades. So what's that like for somebody like Greg or just you having a conversation with him about what this means, the glacier dying wrapped around this bigger conversation about climate change? I went through quite a little journey on that issue uh, in, in the course of this experience with Greg. But I started the way many of us do, which is Oh, my God, if the glaciers all melt out, then this reservoir of water that's up in the mountains trickling through the late summer and fall is gone. And, you know, it's not a significant contributor to our drinking water here in the Bay Area, but it feels deeply symbolic. We're heading into a drier time, even as our population is explicit. So there's that kind of what happens to our civilization. And I know Greg thinks about that in the sense that he brought his daughter Autumn up there one year just so she could see it before it was gone because it will completely melt out in her lifetime you know and she'll be able to tell her grandchildren someday you know there used to be a glacier in this bone dry rock basin we're in right now when you were talking about the history of john muir and having that conversation about basically how the earth world formed i couldn't help to think also how we're now having this conversation about i mean i don't want to sound (laughs) Mm -hmm. like 
the world's ending, but how the world is warming and things like Lyle Glacier are dying. So it's almost those two sides of, you know, the conversation more than 100 years ago about how the world formed and now how it's slowly dying. I mean, we all have to accept change in this life. <laughs> and it turns out we have to change, accept change on big scales and small and personal and impersonal. So, you know, the, the meadow grasses and the wildflowers of that part of the High Sierra, I, you know, they go a long way toward lifting my spirits. You know, I'm pretty, pretty fond of them. <laughs> and uh, I know what happens to meadows and wildflowers when their water sources dry up. You know, sagebrush moves in and woody shrubs move in and crowd out the wildflowers. You know, there is some consolation in the idea that life on this planet just does this. Living organisms on this planet do this. They disturb the carbon cycle and soil their own nest and create the conditions for their own extinction. So that's not that much comfort. <laughs> it's sort of horrible, <laughs> you know. It's all right. It's yeah. all right. Well, thank you so much for yeah. talking with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Daniel says experts believe the Lyle Glacier has another four or five years until all the ice is melted. Daniel Duane is a San Francisco-based author. A link to his essay in the California Sunday Magazine about the Lyle Glacier can be found in today's episode notes. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz-Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S.